That was so good. Um, but I want to start this morning with a, an ancient quote from a wise and brilliant man from the 1980s by the name of Ferris Bueller. Life moves pretty fast, and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Now, setting aside for a moment that this is one of my favorite movies and that I am super annoying to watch this with because I can pretty much quote it word for word, and I'm a huge John Hughes fan and looked up to Ferris Bueller, and now as an adult, I look back and go, well, wait a second, he like lies and cheats and does all these things to have a pretty epic day. Um, I still think he's awesome. But the older I get, the more true this statement kind of feels for me. And if we just pause for a moment, like doesn't it feel like not all that long ago we were packing up our Christmas trees and, and maybe you were, you were sitting down as December was drawing to a close and you pulled out a piece of paper or because we're in 2023 and maybe you opened up an Evernote file and you started to look ahead to 2023 Say, what do I want to change? What do I need to work on in this new year? Maybe you called it a goal. Maybe you called it a resolution. But uh, we all had goals, plans, things that we wanted to change and work towards in the new year. And here we are in April, and life moves pretty fast. And I'm just curious, like, How's that going for you this morning? Those goals, those resolutions, those things you, you said, this is going to be different in 2023. I did a deep dive into the resolutions that were made, uh, the common ones for 2023. And by deep dive, I mean I typed it in Google and I scrolled to the third link, y'all. Like, that's how deep this went to a Forbes article. Here were the top resolutions and goals made this year. People either, most people said, I want to work towards a better fitness routine. I'm getting back in the gym. Or I want to work towards better eating habits. I'm going to eat less foods that rhyme with Doritos and more green vegetables. Uh, most people, a lot of people made resolutions for better, healthier family rhythms. We're going to have family nights, game nights, time together. We're going to be intentional with our family discipleship in time. A lot of people said, you know what? I need to work on a new skill or hobby. I have a desire to learn how to ride a unicycle. That is something I want to do. I haven't done it yet, but one day I'm going to come up here, and that's going to be my sermon opener. It's going to be awesome. Um, I don't even own a unicycle, but it's a desire of mine. Um, so it's like a pre-resolution resolution. resolution. Uh, so, and then others said, I want to work on reading more and having less screen time. These are the common ones. Maybe this is yours. Maybe yours is up here. Maybe yours isn't. One of the ones that this has nothing to do with where we're going, but it just really impressed me. If you are in your teens or your 20s, that puts you in what's called a Gen Z, the Generation Z. And it's really easy to dog you guys and make fun of you and pick on you. That happens in our culture a lot. I actually want to lift you up and praise you this morning because according to this article, most Gen Zers' rev resolution and goals for 2023 this year, 
over 55% of them who made resolutions said, you know what I want to change? It's been a really hard season. I actually want to work on my mental and emotional health. They recognized that this has been a challenging last few years, and I need to process my emotions. I need to think about why I think and believe and behave the way that I do. And man, that just impressed me about that generation. That gave me more hope than I already have. And I'm incredibly hopeful for the future generation. But I just, I loved this, that you guys said, man, before I go get swole at the gym, I'm gonna figure out why I have these thoughts and act the way that I do. I just, I loved this one. But again, I wanna ask, how are your goals going? Maybe you're crushing it. Maybe you're, you're chugging right along. Like, you want a convicting thought? Like, we're a quarter of the way through. Are you where you thought you'd be? And whether you're crushing it this morning on your resolutions and your goals for the new year, or you're going, I forgot those were even a thing until you, I thought we were supposed to be happy this morning, and now you made me feel bad, Nate. What in the world? Come on, I came to be encouraged. I think we could all agree that it is really tough to make a plan and then stick to it and work well to accomplish that goal. Or let's say it another way, finishing what we started is tough for us. It's tough to make changes and to to change the way we live our lives and to work towards a goal that is different than kind of the routine we find ourselves in. And this morning, we are coming together. One of the reasons we celebrate Easter is because this is a morning where we get to slow down because life moves pretty fast. I want us to slow down and look at the unbelievable moments surrounding the resurrection and our Savior who accomplished what he set out to do. Where you and I struggle with our resolutions, where we struggle with our goals, this morning we get to look back and marvel at the unbelievable story of Easter and how our Savior, who's been on a mission, we've been talking about that all month, has accomplished the mission he came to, he set out to do. And so we're going to dive in. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 28. Uh, You just heard Kathy read the the first kind of half of our passage as, as we're looking this morning at the unbelievable moments of Easter. We're going to start out in verses 1 through 10, really marveling at how our Savior comes and reveals himself in some unbelievable ways. In verses 1 through 4, we see that Jesus' work is revealed as far greater than man's effort. And so let's quickly just walk through this text that we already kind of had read in worship uh, over us. We're told that after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, I think this is important for us to understand here because I think Matthew is, is signifying as this, it's the start of a new week, but it's so much more unbelievable than this. 
This is not just the dawn of a new day, of a new week where things are going to be going on as normal. It's the dawn of a new day. Because the tomb is empty, there is a new covenant, a new relationship that is offered to those who would respond and obey. It is Jesus' work on the cross and in conquering sin and death and leaving the tomb empty is giving us a new day. His work is greater than what has preceded him. And we're told that the two Marys go and they see the tomb. I think they go to the tomb to do a couple of things. One, I think they're sad. I think they're grieving the loss of their friend. They're grieving the loss of Jesus, and they want to come and anoint his body for burial. He died late on a Friday. It's now early Sunday, and so they want to give him a proper and respectful burial. But I also think that they're falling in line with a Jewish custom where for the first handful of days, they would go just to make sure the guy that they buried was really dead. And that, that exists for a reason. Like they accidentally buried somebody who was like knocking on the door like, could you guys let me out? Still alive in here. I was only mostly dead. Um, that was a princess bride joke for those of you that caught it. But so they went to see the tomb. They went to grieve and mourn. And as they're making their way there, we're told there's a great earthquake Biblically, this is always a symbol of God's power, God's greatness. God is at work in this moment, and so creation shakes. And we're told an angel of the Lord comes, and he rolls back the stone and sat on it. This was man's best effort to keep Jesus in the grave. The, the, ferret, or the chief priests and the Roman soldiers did all that they could to make sure, we're going to see that in just a few moments, to make sure Jesus stayed in the grave and an angel shows up and really kind of the imagery here that Matthew is giving us is like, this is no big deal for the angel. He just kind of pushes the stone out of the way and he sits down in victory because Jesus' work is so much greater. This unbelievable Easter story starts out with a revelation that his work, if this is an angel and it's no big deal to push out man's best efforts, imagine how much greater Jesus's efforts, Jesus's power, Jesus's work is. That the one who reports to Jesus can easily just push the best attempts to block the king out of the way. This is unbelievable. We're told that his appearance is like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and that just his presence, and again, this is a messenger from the Lord, an angel, causes these guards. These are not easily intimidated men. These are your man's man. These are trained soldiers. These are guys who would not run from a fight ever. The angel shows up, he pushes the stone out of the way, he sits down, and look at the response to the work of our Savior's accomplished mission. For fear of him, we're told, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They are literally scared almost to death at the angel. Can you imagine how great and unbelievable the work of Jesus is? That these these guys are scared to death at the messenger. Jesus' work here is revealed 
as far greater than men's than man's. But we also see in the rest of these verses that Jesus' way is greater than man's way. We're told that the angel said to the women, now, like, you're going to hear more in a little bit when Jeff gets up and, and, and his wife Becca come up and they talk about some things. Like, here at Redemption, in our cult, like, we love women. Women, y'all are great. I'm married to a woman. I'm raising two women. Like, we do women's event. We believe women. You guys have gifts, talents, abilities. Like, we are, we are incredibly pro-woman. That's a weird thing to say on Easter. Happy Easter. We like y'all. Not so in this culture. Women, y'all would have been property possessions, your testimony in court did not hold up as credible. If you were going to start a movement to change the world, and that's what the story of Easter does, you don't start in this culture with women. But Jesus's ways are higher and greater than man's. And so the angel just kind of ignores the dudes like shaking and like trembling and he turns and he talks to the women and he says, do not be afraid. That's like every catchphrase for an angel in the Bible. That's how they kind of always start. Like pick yourself up. You're not going to die. It's okay. He says, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel, the messenger of the Lord knew their plans, knew what they were looking for. If the messenger knows, how much greater is the one he reports to? So you guys came looking for Jesus. He was crucified. He really died. He's not here anymore. He says, he is not here, for he has risen. And then I love that we are invited. These women are invited in to a journey. He says, come and see the place where he lay. This is such an unbelievable story that words are not enough. And so the angel says, come on, come take a look. Look at where his body was supposed to be. It's not there anymore. The king has accomplished his mission. His goal is finished. He did what he set out to do. Come and see. But that's not where it stops. He says, then go quickly and tell his disciples. If you have your Bibles or you're taking notes, the words go and tell. I would highlight, circle, underline, star, write those down on your note sheets, remember those for later. Those are incredibly important, and we're going to see those a few times in our passages this morning. He says, go quickly and tell his disciple. In the midst of this unbelievable revelation that the king accomplished his mission, these women are invited into that mission. They're told, you get to see this and celebrate this. Now go do something with that truth. Go and tell my, the, the, the disciples, the followers, the friends, the people who spent time following Jesus, learning from Jesus, studying under Jesus. He says, tell them that he is risen from the dead. He's going before you. And look at this promise. There you're going to see him. You came expecting a dead man. But when you get to Galilee, you're going to see your friend and your king alive. This was not at all what they were expecting on that Easter Sunday. This is unbelievable. Jesus' ways are so much greater than man's. And he says, see, I have told you. I love that part because this is just the way my brain works. It's like the angel is the messenger from the Lord. He's told them everything he's supposed to. And he goes, see guys, I, I did my job. 
I've told you what I needed to tell you. See, uh, check, I've done what I was responsible. Now what are you going to do? He says, see, I have told you. It says they departed quickly with fear and great joy. This is not the same type of fear that those soldiers are experiencing. This is an awe. This is an, an overwhelmed in worship. This is, this is just a coming undone at the greatness of our king. And it's not just a little bit of joy that they get. It's great joy because Jesus accomplished what he set out to. And he has revealed himself and his works and his ways in an unbelievable way. And so they run to the disciples. And we're, t- we're told that while they're going, it says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. I don't know, this just caught me as a little funny as I read and studied this week. Like, this is anything but an ordinary day. And yet this greeting would be like the fist bump or like, Hey, how's it going? Like, that's what Jesus, it's an ordinary greeting in an unbelievably extraordinary moment. Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey, guys, how's it going? And look at their response. They come, they take hold of his feet, they worship, and then Jesus does his best angel impression. He says, don't be afraid, because this is no longer humble servant Jesus. This is fully accomplished, risen Savior and King Jesus, who has done what he set out to do. He says, he says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. I read in a commentary this week that what Jesus is probably doing here is widening the circle. It's not just the 11 disciples that they're to go tell the good news to, but rather all of those who would have followed and and been interested and been responsive to this unbelievable Easter story. He says, go let everybody know to go to Galilee. And again, he says, there they will see me. But notice, what did Jesus re-up what the angel had said? Go and tell. He continues them on in this mission. As this unbelievable Easter story is unfolding, we see that Jesus' works and ways are far greater than man's. This revelation is unbelievable that he would invite these women to jumpstart this mission, to go reveal this Easter story. And it, it asks the question of me that I want to ask of us this morning. Has the Easter story, this unbelievable revelation, made a difference? Has it changed your story? It changed everything for the Marys. It put them on a different trajectory forever. Has this story changed you? It changed them. We also see pretty quickly that it changes the soldiers. The next couple of verses, um, we're going to see very quickly just this unbelievable rejection of the Savior and his mission as Jesus' work is rejected by spiritual leaders, by pastors and small group leaders of the day. Look at what happens in verses 11 through 14. As Matthew kind of takes a, takes a jump, he's going to cut from the scene of, the, of Mary Magdalene um, and them running to 
go tell the disciples to now what's going on with the guards. Let's look at that as he kind of, same day, different account here. It says, while they were going, so the Marys are running to Galilee. They're running to tell the disciples and the brothers, here's what's going on. The king is alive. This is unbelievable. While they're doing that, it says, some of the guard went into the city and told the priests all that had taken place. I think that word some is important to our story. Because you know what some means? Not all. Now maybe some stayed behind and guarded the empty tomb. Personally, feels a little unlikely. They don't need to. It's empty. I choose to believe some of those guards had a life-changing moment that, that first Easter. And they couldn't go report back. They couldn't continue as business as usual. But some do. Some go back. They tell the chief priests and the, and, and, uh, the elders what had taken place. It says, when they'd assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they, being the chief priests and the, count, the spiritual leaders of the day, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they told them to tell this story. Again, these are your pastors. These are your small group leaders. This is what they tell the soldiers to say. Tell them that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Can, Can we just, again, life moves fast. Let's slow down for a moment and acknowledge how utterly ridiculous this lie is. These are trained soldiers authorized to kill and take life, trained to kill and take life, ready for this attack. We'll see this in just a second. And the lie, and not only are the soldiers there, but there's this massive stone that has been put in place to make sure Jesus stays in the grave. And we're supposed to believe this this ragtag bunch of cowards who on Friday abandoned Jesus, suddenly muster up the courage to sneak past the guards trained to kill them, roll away an immovable stone in the darkness of night, and drag off a lifeless body. Have you ever hauled away a lifeless body? That's a super weird question. Have you ever tried to get a toddler out of the grocery aisle that doesn't want, out of the cereal aisle that doesn't want to go? Like, that feels like an impossible task. These guys are supposed to take a fully dead body past the guards, out around the corner, and then, oh yeah, by the way, you got to do something with that body. And it's not that big of an area. It'd be pretty easy to find them. Jesus was a pretty well-known guy. His followers were pretty easily identified. And you got, they don't have basements or crawl space. Like, what do you do with that body? This is an unbelievably ridiculous story that they are told to spread. And yet, we're told at the end of Matthew 27, they actually took precautions against this very thing. At the end of Matthew 27, after Jesus has died, he's being taken to the grave. We're told that therefore, that you order the tomb to be made secure. Uh, This is Pilate, the governor kind of talking. Order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. The last fraud will be worse 
than the first. They were very concerned that this was going to happen. And so Pilate said, you've got a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. They had already taken all of the effort to make sure that very lie could not happen. Yet when Jesus walks out, he accomplishes his mission. He reveals that his ways are higher. As the spiritual leaders are are concerned about their purpose, their authority, their little kingdoms, they decide to reject the truth and start spreading this lie. And they even go so far as to say, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. We won't let you guys take the fall for this because the penalty for falling asleep on the job for a Roman soldier could include up to death. Their lives literally could be on the line. They're saying, we won't let that happen to you. Don't worry about it. We'll reject the truth. We'll spread this lie. And what really broke my heart about this part of our story this morning is that the people who should have been rejoicing were busy rejecting Jesus's work and Jesus's ways because it came against their kingdom, their purposes. It was uncomfortable for them, and so they pushed away truth. But we also see in verse 15 that Jesus' ways are rejected by some soldiers who sell out. It says they took the money and did as they were directed. These soldiers had seen the bright, shining light of an angel. They'd felt the earth quake. They'd seen the empty tomb, and yet there was a price that they were willing to sell their stories for, to lie and decide, you know what? I'd rather have temporary pleasures than stand for truth. And it says that this story has been spread among the Jews to this day, as Matthew is writing this. This is a story that continued. But clearly this morning, we're gathered here because the truth is louder than the lie. Jesus' story could not be squashed, could not be quieted. And Jesus' works and ways, while they were rejected by unlikely people for temporary purposes and pleasures, it does cause me to ask this question, where am I guilty of rejecting the unbelievable truth of Easter for temporary pleasures. Just to let you in on how this passage really like kind of rocked me this week. I know I've sold and sold my story and quieted down truth and rejected standing for and being on mission without a large sum of money. I just don't want to look weird in a group. I don't want to create an uncomfortable conversation between me and my neighbor. And so I'll quiet the story of Easter and how the resurrection changes everything without a big bag of money. The soldiers at least got a big bag of money. I'll do that. I'll do this for far, far less. I wonder this morning if there are places where We are rejecting the truth of Easter. We're not allowing the story of the resurrected king, the savior who accomplished his mission to come to light, to bear fruit because we're settling for temporary 
pleasures. Our Savior is on a mission. We've seen that he's, he's revealing himself in incredible ways. We've seen he's, be, he's been rejected by people who should have been eager to embrace or stand for truth. And the last four verses of the book of Matthew, uh, we're going to have to fly through. Um, and I feel bad because we could take, honestly, like the next 10 to 12 weeks maybe even 10 to 12 years on these verses. And if you've been around church, not just this church, but the church for like um, five minutes, you've heard these are incredibly familiar verses. But I would just challenge you to take some time this week and meditate and, and slow down and dwell on all the beauty that is in these, these final few verses of the book of Matthew as we get this unbelievable reunion. In verses 16 and 17, we see Jesus' work is going to be reunited with his followers. And let's remember just quickly where we were on Good Friday. Jesus is suffering and dying alone. All of his friends and followers abandoned him. And now we're going to jump forward in the story. This is somewhere from Easter to the Ascension Day, somewhere in that month and change time frame where Jesus is going to head up on a mountain with his disciples. This, we're not on Easter Sunday anymore, but we get this beautiful reunion. And if I could just be honest, the fact that we're, we're told in verses 16 and 17, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. The beauty that is present in this. About eight plus years ago, I had a very close friend hurt me deeply and sever relationship. And it took years, like this week walking through this passage and seeing that in less, in about a month's time maybe, or less than that even, that Jesus would have this beautiful reunion with men who hurt him, abandoned him, rejected him, left him alone to suffer and die. He experienced far more betrayal and abandonment than I have. And yet the wound that I carry from a, from a severing of relationship is still painful. The beauty that Jesus would say, hey, you guys that left me high and dry, come up on the mountain with me. And we've seen in Matthew, we spent a good chunk of the first part of this year studying the Sermon on the Mount where, like in Matthew, beautiful things happen on the mountaintops. You get the Sermon on the Mount. You get the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John get to see Jesus in all of his glory. And then here at the end of Matthew, we get this mountaintop moment where Jesus directs the disciples to come to him. It says when they see him, some worshiped, they saw him, let me, let me read out loud. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Here's what's awesome about this verse. People see Jesus in his authority, we're going to see that in just a second, and they worship him. And I've heard this verse taken a couple of different ways, but, but here's what I think Matthew is driving at. I think when it says some worship Jesus and maybe they fall down like the Marys and they grab hold of his feet and they're just quick to respond to the glory and majesty and power of a king who accomplished his goal. They're quick to respond. There's others who doubt. Here's what I don't think Matthew is telling us. Here's what I don't think took, happened, took place on that mountain. There were people who looked at the risen king and went, 
I don't believe that. I think the doubt in this moment and the language that Matthew is using here is that they don't know what to do with themselves. One of my favorite things I do with my daughters uh, every year is we do a daddy-daughter dance. And I walk into the dance every year, and I've been a handful of times now, and I walk in, and it's like, I still have to like take it all in and kind of like find my little corner and decide, what am I going to do with the next hour and a half? And then once I kind of acclimate myself to the room, figure out, okay, this is our little dance zone and we'll probably be safe here and I don't think I'll lose you in this spot because there's hundreds of dads and the lights are low and there's kids running everywhere. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite things all year. But I have to like assess the situation first and then I can get into the groove, literally and figuratively. I think that's a little bit what's happening here. They're doubting, how do I respond in this moment? I am face to face with the risen king. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond? And I love that both get the invitation up on the mountain. Whether you respond quickly to the acts of God, whether you are the first one to cry and pray and worship, or you go, I've got to think about this a little bit and determine what I'm supposed to do. Jesus is like, both, come on. Both are welcome. Both are reunited. And then we see that really the mission Jesus is on is to reunite people to the Father. It says, Jesus came and said to them. Here's why I think those that came and said, that is the past tense of go and tell. Our king doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't modeled himself. We are told, go and tell, or here in a second, go and make disciples. That's exactly what Jesus did. He's the only God that asks stuff of us that he is willing to do himself. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is in complete control, in in complete authority. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He is passing the baton this idea of going and making disciples is incredibly important. And maybe a helpful way, because I feel like that can get really easily um, maybe misconstrued or, or we could go in all sorts of ways with this. But, but here's maybe an analogy that helps. Um, I have four kids. Our job as parents didn't stop when the baby was born. It actually is just getting going. And then we weren't done being parents when they were finally able to sleep through the night or they were potty trained or when they were done being toddlers and hit elementary school. Our job wasn't done when they hit middle school in that tween years. Our job isn't done because my son is 17 and can drive a car for himself, though that's awesome. Keep striving, parents of young kids. Like, this is a fantastic stage. But our job's not done. My mom, I'm 38. My mom's like, yeah, I'm still your mom. I'm not done. Like, well, you kind of are. Like, I got this. But... That's what, when we talk about making disciples, Jesus here is talking about a long, messy road that all of us are on. It's not just if you have the title of pastor that your role is to make disciples, but as you follow Jesus, you link arms with others and you say, come and follow. Let me tell you the unbelievable story of Easter. And when it says all nations, we are the end of this. 
when Jesus is saying this to the disciples, he's talking about that he wants us to, he wants these disciples to say, go and make disciples both of Jews and of Gentiles to the ends of the earth. We are a part of that all nations. And so we get invited, we get reunited into the mission. And I think it's incredible that those who had left Jesus alone are now called to lead out in mission. He says, you guys now get to go and make disciples. You get to grab others and share with them the story and walk through the messiness of life and help them understand the severity of the sin, their sin and the beauty of the gospel. And then it continues on saying, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This beautiful picture of the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get the Trinity on display. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, he promises, I am with you always. Jesus' work and ways are about reuniting his followers to the Father and then sending them out on mission because he finished what he started. And so maybe the question you need to ask this morning is how can you slow down and look for ways to be reunited to the mission that Jesus has called us into to be a follower who helps others follow or make disciples. And let's not, be, let's, not, let's not miss out on moments with him because as the wise man once said, life moves fast. Let's, slow, let's, let's not miss opportunities to be on mission with the Jesus who unbelievably walked out of the grave to reunite us in relationship with him, to reveal himself in incredible ways. Let's not reject what we've been called into, but let's embrace it and run with all we are. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up and we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and celebrate this morning that on that first Easter, our king revealed himself to people made himself known, and they responded in worship. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to respond in worship. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are a king who accomplished what you set out to do perfectly. And that because the grave could not hold you, because Death could not keep you. Jesus, we have the opportunity to respond in worship this morning. And so God, if there's anyone here this morning who has been selling out and rejecting the truth of Easter, saying, no, I'm going to do things my way for my pleasure and my comfort. Lord, in this moment, by your spirit, would you reveal your glory to, that, to them. God, would today be a day of salvation, a day of revelation, where Jesus, you make yourself known. God, and for all of us, would you increase our fear, our awe of the Easter story, and would we leave here this morning in great joy because we get to join you 
in mission. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, I thank you for the unbelievable story of Easter and how you have made yourself known so we can come and be in relationship with you. Would we stand now and celebrate and worship in both spirit and truth? It's in your name we pray. Amen.